Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Each week, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Matt Robinson, or another member of the Bethlehem team. We also host a conversation every week where we unpack different facets of Sunday's message. We're so excited about this message, and we hope it's a blessing to you. Let's jump in. There's no better way than to sow into that new year with those 21 days. So I put in the Facebook group different types of fasts, um, you know, whether it's an elimination fast, a partial fast, intermittent, uh, however you choose to do it. Look, you can give up Facebook for 21 days uh, and your life would improve for sure. Um, but that would be just a good thing. Um, that's, that's an example of one thing that you can give up that's not food. I know everybody has, uh, not, not everybody does, but some people have health concerns and giving up food or uh, you know, some type of coffee or caffeine, whatever, like everybody's different. And so last year, this was really a thing that I felt like if you couldn't do food, you felt like you weren't a part or you didn't want to get involved with it. And I don't want that to be the case. Look, everybody can give up something. Uh, you can give up wearing socks for the month of January. I don't know, whatever. Uh, it can be absolutely anything, but, uh, prayerfully it's something that when, when you give it up, it'll be something that you'll miss. And when you miss it, you can think about uh, the fact that you're doing that for the Lord. And instead of enjoying that thing, you pray. And you take that time where you say, Lord, man, I, I really want that cup of coffee or I really want to get on social media. But for the 21 days, when I have that impulse to do that thing, I'm going to tell myself no and I'm going to pray to the Lord instead of that thing. That's the, that's the design, denying yourself uh, what it is that you want, delayed gratification for something bigger, greater. And the Lord, listen, I know uh, the Lord is going to do some incredible things in this new year. Uh, There are things that I'm asking from the Lord that are huge, uh, bigger things than I've ever asked for. Uh, are coming this year. And so I know that I can't do it. I know they're God-sized things. Um, and so I, I just can't wait to sow into that with this fast, this 21-day fast. And hopefully I can get the ball rolling a little bit with this message. Uh, fasting is in there. It's not the whole topic of the message. Um, but it's, it's the part about making these decisions. Even right now, right, you're listening to what I'm saying and you're, you're processing. And you're going, why in the world would I give something up that I enjoy? Why, why would I make that decision to uh, go without that thing? That's, that's what I live for, those things, right? And, and a way to hit that reset button for all of us is to prove, not just to yourself, but to the Lord, that you can go without that thing. That, that he is more important than those things. How many can see and look around, you know, turn on the news, if you will, but I don't know if anyone turns on the news like that anymore, but I, I did that. Turn on the news, <laughs> Turn it on. Uh, but just looking around, surveying, right? People are making bad decisions. Can we agree? Nobody agree? Okay, th- three of you. Thank you for the three of you. There's bad decisions being made. <laughs> I mean, how many of you, is it just me or how many of you see it? There's bad decisions happening everywhere. How many say, my spouse made a bad decision this week? No, <laughs> she didn't get me that thing that I wanted. How many just didn't, you want to embarrass your spouse right now and tell us that they didn't get you the present? That, no, I'm just kidding. Kenny, she got, look, she won, didn't she? We all saw it. Oh, wow, that's awesome. That's good. That's good stuff. Uh, but look, decisions, 
are being made that are literally wrecking and ruining people's lives. And I don't think some people see the, you know, what's the word? The delicacy, if you will. You know, the life is, it's short. It's, it's delicate. We, we can make one wrong decision. I think we were talking about um, this past week about that nasty car accident that happened on Eastern Avenue. Um, but like four kids that were under the age of 18, you know, and it, I, I think we're, I'm close to the details, but just one decision to get in the car after having a few drinks. Some of them didn't walk away from that. One, dis- think about the impact of one decision. And parents, people that have lived, you know, a little while, that have been around, those of us that have children, like that's the part that keeps us up at night is like, oh my goodness, what if they make that one wrong decision? And, and instead of worrying, what if we spent more time equipping our children to make the right decisions? What if we spent our time making the right decisions and preparing ourselves to make the right decisions? How much less time would we spend worrying? And would we spend uh, being anxious? Look, anxiety and depression are at an all-time high. That's no secret. Could it be because of the decisions that we're making or that we're not making? What do you think, huh? I think it could have a part. I need somebody else to talk for a minute so I can drink some of this this throw coat. (laughs) Wow, that's pretty good. It's delicious. A little bit of honey. Uh, Anyway, I hope to help. I hope to equip you a little bit more this morning as we talk about when it's time to make a decision. Let's look right there. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can go to the program, uh, BethlehemChurch.cc weekly program or forward slash program, and you can read right along. My notes are pasted in there. Let's go to Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19. Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 19, and I'll begin reading. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. Don't miss this part. We're going to come back to it later in the message, but it's key. It's crucial. He went out to the mountain to pray and spent all night in prayer to God. Now, how many know who this is talking about? Who's doing this? It's Jesus. Jesus is going out to the mountain to pray, spending all night with the Lord in prayer. When daylight came, verse 13, he summoned his disciples and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. That's significant. Simon, whom he also surnamed Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon called the Zealot, Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. They just throw that guy right under the bus, don't they? Just right off the get. Who became a traitor? After coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples, uh, and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. What an amazing story. This is the moment, the pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry where he chooses 12. Now, we've been talking about the first advent, his coming as a baby and being born and the implications of that. But ultimately, we know that he was born to die. He was born with a purpose. 
And this is really right as he's coming on the scene, we have people that are flocking to him left and right. He didn't have a shortage of people to choose from for his 12 disciples. It was a crowd. I mean, can you imagine being there that day, like standing against the fence, waiting to get picked up to play baseball? You know, and then they're like, you and you. And I'd have been like the kid at the end. Man, I didn't get picked. Who, were, who was that kid that never got picked? Anybody here? I'll pray for you. I know my poor wife. <laughs> She's not into sports. It's okay. Mm. But you have this moment, right, where he's picking the twelve. And, and let that be a lesson to everyone in this generation right now. Like, there are winners and there are losers. <laughs> no, everyone's a winner. No, everyone is not a winner. And, and you shouldn't tell your son who sucks at that sport that he's good at it. Let me just help you right now with that decision. Anyway, uh, is that a little rough? Look, I'm just creating some space so I can take another sip of this tea. Truth with love, that's right. Yeah, it... Look, you're not doing him any favors, okay? Somebody's going to tell him at some point in time. Might as well be people that love him. <laughs> He's not good at it, okay? Mm. Anyway, so Jesus picks 12. And that number is significant. And, and here's what I think is interesting. If you keep reading or looking down the program, it says, he would later remind them, John 15, 16, remember this scripture. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. He chose them with a purpose. And the 12 that he chose, these 12 men, it wasn't just some random act, right? The number was symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. And I'm not going to get into all the numerology, but we know that there's a connection. Whether you believe that God is done with Israel or he's uh, going to redeem them later in a different dispensation, wherever you are, I'm not going to argue the point or belabor it. To me, it doesn't really matter. The point is, is that uh, he chose the, the Jewish people, the, 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 the nation of Israel to bring Jesus. That was the vehicle that got him here. And so we see that part throughout his entire ministry. All of the festivals, all of the feasts that he was a part of, Passover, all of it pointed to him. So symbolically, he's still using it, even though they were a people that rejected him. So uh, choosing the 12, and we're going to, I want to bring something else out, the fact that the number was important because of the way the story continues, but we know that it's symbolic. We know that it is for the 12 tribes of Israel symbolically, uh, and, and that it wasn't just some sort of random act. The importance of that number, and, and here's where I think we really see the significance. It was underscored by the addition of Matthias in the first chapter of Acts. Think about this, Acts 1, 23 and 26, what happens after Judas uh, commits suicide, runs off and, you know, a couple different gospel accounts give it differently, but he sells Judas, who's the traitor, they were made no bones about that, um, he sells Jesus into bondage, into slavery for 30 pieces of silver, is overcome with guilt because of it, right, you know the story, uh, and he goes and throws himself off a cliff and, and you know, the rest is history. Uh, but, but once the church, Jesus ascends into heaven, and they begin to act as a church in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit of God, the, you know, he comes at Pentecost, all of that. But what is one of the first orders of business that they do? Is replace Judas Iscariot. So that shows in and of itself that 12 was significant. Would you agree? If it wasn't significant, if it's whatever, however many apostles, however many numbers, then the church would not have immediately in Jerusalem said, hey, uh, it's time to figure out who's going to fill his spot. 
it was clear that Jesus established his ministry on 12 guys that would be apostles. Now that word apostle carries weight. Uh, It carries significance not just in the New Testament but also in the Old. And it comes from uh, the Old Testament in such a way. But I, I wanted to share with you that fact that they replace Judas with Matthias. Uh, he fills the position. That seat that was vacant was filled, showing again that, let's, let's take this back to, to Luke chapter 6, showing again that what Jesus did in his decision would continue. When Jesus made this decision, when he called the 12, when he chose them, that was a decision that was made that would impact the rest of the church history. Do you see that? We, we, we tracking here? Here's also, I want, I want to point out a few things. So those in the group, Peter, James, John, they were in, uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, they were the first four called by Jesus, the most intimate with him, those about whom we know the most. The second group, uh, we know a little bit about them, some of the information, but very little is known about the third group that was called. Uh, now, this, is, this next part, some of y'all might not like this, but it's even more reason for me to say it. <laughs> and and I, I think that this is a big part. This isn't the message. You know, we're just kind of building this thing about Jesus' decision because it's about when it's time to make a decision. But this next piece of information, whatever you do with it, is between you and the Lord. But I think it's a real big issue in our churches. I think it's causing a ton of problems. And I think that if we were to get this right, in the new year, it, our, it would behoove our church. We would see growth from it. And I think we do a pretty good job with it, but I think we can do better. But let's consider the 12, shall we? Let's consider the diversity of the 12. The 12 were a diverse group, not only in their occupations as noted, but also in their political views. Rump row. <laughs> this is what I was saying. <laughs> but also in their political views. Matthew and Simon, for instance, you ready for this? Could not have been further apart. Matthew was a tax collector, a traitor who served the Roman occupiers by exploiting his own people. Simon, on the other hand, the zealot, not Peter, Simon, on the other hand, was a member of the zealots, a faction radically opposed to Rome. Some of them known as Sicarii for the concealed daggers they would carry. They were terrorists. They resorted to kidnapping or even murdering Romans and Jews they suspected of being loyal to Rome. Were it not for their common devotion to Jesus Christ, Simon may well have murdered Matthew. And it was that same devotion that molded all 12 men, different as they were in occupation, temperament, uh, political views, into a cohesive unit. When we consider the groundwork that was being laid for, watch this, every tribe and tongue, what was an exclusive religion to just Israel was now uh, something that would go to all of the Gentiles, something that would spread First in Jerusalem, but then Judea, and then Samaria, the half-breeds, and then the uttermost parts of the world. So when Jesus chose his 12, he chose them strategically. And let's look no further than just these two guys. Matthew, a tax collector, a traitor, one, a guy who would wear his garments to Rome. 
pledge his allegiance, take money, fleece his own people for his own gain to support a government that he approved of was elected one of Jesus' disciples. And then on the other end, I could say that they probably sat on opposite ends of the table. Could you, can you imagine? And then Simon, my man, probably was like, uh-uh. Can, what would you do if there were only 12 of you and Jesus chose that person that you hated to serve right alongside of you? You would have looked at Jesus, because this is what we do in our generation, and said that was a poor decision. That was a really poor decision. But here's the point. You are in a church. You are in a collective, a plan to reach the entire world. And the entire world includes people that are not like you. And how are you doing with it? This guy had to take his dagger. I, I, <laughs> I just think about how crazy the story can be. Jesus sets up a metal detector outside of his house for the Last Supper. Simon, nope, go through it again. Beep. Nope. Go through it again. Another knife. Walks through. Beep. Nope. I got another one. He walks through. Beep. Nope. I promise there's nothing. on. It's my belt buckle, Jesus. And he pulls out the belt buckle and it's another knife. No, go back through it, Simon. It's like this guy was a murderer. This guy couldn't wait to get his hands on the tax collector to show him what uh, being loyal to Rome does. I kill you <laughs> and your children. It's like literally being in a room with a jihadist Muslim, and where I am in my faith and in my perspective. Jesus radically transforms and changes no matter who it is, no matter what the perspective. He can radically transform a vaccinated person and an unvaccinated person in 2021, if I can just be so crude. <gasps> he can do it. There were people at the table with masks on, and there were people at the table without masks. Can we see? Does this make sense? That's his 12. Those were the disciples. And he expected them to lay down their differences and pick up the cross. That's wild, isn't it? Jesus' decision was purposeful. How are we doing on that? It's not the message, but in general, how are we doing with living our personal lives with our public profession of faith? It's important. It's very important. Okay, moving on. That went over about like I thought it was going to go over. <laughs> Here, I think this is really fun. Check this out. The concept of the apostle can be traced to Jewish, the Jewish concept, I know I'm butchering the pronunciation here, of the shaliach, which also referred to a messenger, watch this, sent with full authority to act on behalf of another. Here's an Old Testament illustration. In, in 1 Samuel 25, 40 through 42, David, for example, proposed to Abigail through messengers. She signified the acceptance of the proposal of the engagement by washing the feet of the messengers. How would that work in 2021? <laughs> I want to get engaged. I'm going to hire some people to go tell her how much I love her. <laughs> and then she will wash their feet. That's so bizarre. How many are glad that didn't stick in our culture? You know what I mean? I'd be like, man, that's strange. I'd do it just for just to spite. I'd find the weirdest, ugliest feet messenger, babe, and send them right to you. How much do you love me? Wash them feet. How much do you love me? No. Uh, I'm deranged, I know. It's okay. It's a strange story. But the same word, messenger, 
is the same word that carries over to apostle, where Jesus said, these are my messengers. These are the ones that can carry out, watch this, David and Abigail, they solidified a legal agreement through a messenger. We, the disciples, were the first apostles, messengers, helping to solidify the message of Jesus Christ. In other words, who he chose. He was literally choosing extensions, watch this, of himself. And he chose that guy, and he chose that guy, and he chose that guy. What kind of decision is that? Let me have a talk with Jesus right quick. If he knew who they were, why did he pick them? Why would he do that? My point is, is I, I want you to see the weight of this. Ephesians also says this. I think it's in here. Yeah, Ephesians 2.20. It says, and are built, Paul speaking about the church, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself becoming the chief cornerstone. Do you understand that these dudes were the first building blocks of the church? And they couldn't be any different from each other. In occupation, in political perspective, the way they felt about the pandemic. <laughs> anyway, just kidding. They couldn't be any more different. And these were the men that would lay the groundwork for the church of God. Mind-blowing. Let this comfort you this morning as we transition and we talk about the decision. Look, Jesus made the decision to choose these 12. I want to unpack that a little bit, and I want to help you with, with your decisions. Before we do that, let's look. Do you think that the disciples were the only, do you think they were the only picture of those that were not necessarily worthy of the grace that the Lord gave them? Do you think the disciples were the only picture of people that the Lord used that were not very good people? What about Noah? Soon after he saves the world and humanity from a worldwide flood, he decides to go in his tent and get drunk and commits immoral acts. The man that the Lord found favor in his eyes. In his eyes. Moses, right? Think about Moses killing a man. Moses disobeying God, smoting the rock twice not allowed to enter the promised land because of his disobedience. David, a man after God's own heart, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Oh my goodness, what an incredible man. Yeah. Committed adultery with a woman, sends her husband to the front lines of the battle to be killed to cover up the pregnancy. Great guy. Wonderful. Hear, hear. <laughs> I just wanted a drink, that's all. Not good, right? I mean, if we keep going, Jonah, supposed to go and preach deliverance, runs from God, disobeys, gets swallowed by a fish. <laughs> Isaiah said, I'm a man, a prophet of unclean lips. Look, it, it doesn't take long to go. Abraham, think about that. The father of Israel lies and says that his wife is his sister because he's fearful of the Egyptians. And then to boot, his son Isaac does it a few hundred years later. The Bible is full of imperfect people. If, if God waited to make a decision until all of the pieces were perfect and fit together the right way, we wouldn't have a Bible, we wouldn't have a church, and we wouldn't be saved. That's why he had to come. Consider this. The Bible is full of broken people being selected and chosen to do, imperfect people selected to do a perfect work.
Here's the first thing I see. Number one, when it comes to Jesus's decision, Jesus chose the 12. Can we all agree on that? How many believe that Jesus chose the 12? Can I get you to raise your hand? Can I get you to turn to your neighbor and say, he chose? Okay. Tell him how many. He chose 12. All right. Online. Go get a new coffee and come back. All right. We've got to wake y'all up a little bit. I know it's the day after Christmas. How many aren't going to eat until like five tonight because you ate so much yesterday? Yeah, man. I'm with that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going home and I'm going to send it again. We are going to full send. It's going to be good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How many baked a turkey yesterday? What? Only one person? Who baked a turkey? Really? What did you guys make for Christmas dinner? Ham? Y'all are so weird. I love all of you so much. (laughs) I love it. Who had a ham? We're the weird ones, babe. We're the weird ones. Really what it was, should I tell them what it is? (laughs) I probably shouldn't. My mom don't watch this. It's okay. I'll say it. It's good to have your, your mom here, Russell. So good to see you, yes. Uh, I'm going to make fun of my mom real quick. But <laughs> So my mom's like, everything's gluten-free. Anyone have a friend that's gluten-free? If you do, you know it because they, they tell everybody, hey, is that, is that gluten-free? Uh, I can't have gluten. It's like, do people, <laughs> like, what? the first thing I say when I come in a room is, I don't like black licorice. I don't like black licorice. Is that the first thing we do is tell people the food that we don't like? Like, it's so weird. Just because you're gluten-free, everybody knows it. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I'm venting. Uh, but it's like, hey, <laughs> Oh, I'm cracking myself up up here. I don't announce my, my least favorite food, just in case you were wondering. When I meet someone, it's not the first thing on my mind. But with my mom, poor thing, gluten-free, gluten intolerant, I'm not really sure. It's one of those. She's a celiac. So food has changed through the years. And we went there for Thanksgiving. And she's like, oh, no, we're going to make two of everything. And, like, two of everything translates to maybe two of one thing, and everything else is gluten-free. What is going on? I mean, everybody at Thanksgiving now has to eat like the gluten-free person. And I'm all for taking one for the team. But when we got home, I was like, babe, can you make a Thanksgiving meal for Christmas? <laughs> like, so that we can, like, really indulge. And she did. So give my wife a hand. <laughs> anyway. She slayed it. It was so good. Best turkey, honestly, we ever had. We got it from, uh, where did you get that thing? Richardson's. Oh, man. Oh, man, it was good. Yeah, as Pastor Reyes says, where's Cody? Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, inside joke that I said outside now. Um, but, yeah, so we got it from Richardson's. What else was good? Um, the deviled eggs. Anyway, I'm ready to eat again. I better hurry this up. Uh, so all, all that being said, we have to look at the decision that Jesus made. And, and I, I, look, I really, as all kidding and joking aside, I really want you to receive something from this. How many know that if you make decisions the way the Lord Jesus Christ made decisions, your life would look differently? How many know that? So I'm going to give you three things. Three things that I see him do in this decision. It was a tough decision. It was a difficult decision. People were unhappy when he made this decision. Some people were sad. Some people struggled with living with his decision. Regardless, he had to make it, and I've already shown you the implications. It's the church. The church would not be what it was today, is today, if it hadn't been for his decision. So here's three things that I see. Number one, Jesus knew the right decision even though the subject matter of the decision wasn't perfect. How many know that every apostle that he chose was perfect? 
They were all perfect. Every one of them. I mean, they all made perfect decisions, Steve. No, they didn't. The subject matter of his decision was not perfect, but he knew there was a right decision making. Here's what I, I just want to say to you today. For many of you that cannot make that decision, don't let it be because it's just not perfect. These things just don't make sense. If, if that person was different or if this person was different, look, if we wait till it's perfect, we'll never make the right decision. If we wait till all the stars align, we'll never make the decision. But, but I, I, I know when I'm ready. I know when I'll pull the trigger. He knew when it was the right decision, and we'll get into why he knew that more. But let me explain something to you. It was not because the subject matter of the decision was perfect. It was quite the opposite. Whatever decision the Lord is calling you to make, know that it is going to be imperfect. At its core, we live in a fallen world. At its core, we are all broken people. So why are you expecting broken people to make perfect decisions? The subject matter of the decision is not perfect. The 12 apostles, disciples, they are not perfect men, but he chose them anyway. There will come a time in your life when you've got to make a decision, even though the subject matter isn't perfect. So, so don't let that stop you. Young people, young people, look, I hate to say this, but like people just aren't getting married anymore. And I say, I mean, they're getting married, but it's like, how old are you? I'm 38. I think, I, I think the time's right now. <laughs> like, really? We, we have a bunch of young people that want everything that their parents have, that want everything that right away. Look, it's not reality. Reality is brokenness. Reality is she's going to have stinky breath in the morning. It's going to happen. Except my wife. She doesn't. She doesn't. She wakes up. The smell of cinnamon just quaffs from her mouth. <laughs> Only if I put a peppermint in there. You know what I'm saying? Look, the subject matter of our decisions are not perfect. The he chose 12 and he did it. And, it, and, and it just changed the whole course of the church. Yeah, and he did it with imperfect subject material. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about that job. They're, well, I can tell you one thing. The job's not going to be perfect. I, but the money, the money's not going to be perfect. But the people, the people aren't going to be perfect. Well, why would I do it? Exactly. When it's time to make a decision, you have to have something greater motivating you rather than the subject material of the decision. And boy, does, this is where, really where the rubber meets the road. This is where we have to find more value in principle than the product. We, we have a generation that is absolutely consumed with themselves and consumed with products. I have to have this as the outcome. That's got to be it. And I'm not making a decision until that's it. Well, what if that is never going to happen? What if that is not what the Lord wants for, for you? It can never be about the product, but it must be about the principle. We make decisions based on what God wants us to do, not what, we, not what we're uh, holding over God's head that he'll give us if we make that decision. It doesn't work that way. 
in the example of Jesus, what he says, here's what, here's what it is. Jesus knew the right decision, even though the subject matter of the decision wasn't perfect. This is something that really motivates me when it comes to like decision making. And I like making, I'm a decision making person for the most part. Sometimes I struggle with it just like everybody else. But I, I, I like to make decisions. One thing that, that I cling to is this. Let me share this with you. Proverbs says this, 1633, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Know this, that they believed back then that if, let's just take dice, for instance. That's something that our culture understands. If we throw dice across the table, they believed that the Lord controlled the outcome of what the dice were going to be. They believed that. To their core, they would say, all right, Lord, we're tossing the dice. Whatever that number is, that's the number of person I'm going I'm to pick. They believed that every outcome was the Lord's. Accepting the fact that God is sovereign over your decisions is a really hard thing sometimes. It's difficult. But they lived it. It was in their culture. It was ingrained in who they were. And Jesus said, look, I'm making a decision with imperfect subject matter, and I know that. Imperfect people are going to make up a perfect decision. How do you say that? One of them was a traitor. How do you say that he made the right decision? One of them was no good. He was bad. Bad decision. He needed a traitor. He needed a bad decision to betray him, to send him to the cross, to spark the trial, the botched, horrible trial that led to him going to the cross, which led to your salvation. Sometimes the decision you need to make is the wrong one. When will we see that? But we glorify people that are amazing at everything. We glorify everything. We put filter on filter on our life. Look at my filtered life. And we are unable to live with wrong decisions. But if we believe God is sovereign, if we believe God is in control, then there's really no such thing as a what? As a wrong decision. But here's the caveat to that. There's a wrong decision because we know we're living like hell. You feel me? If you're, thanks Josh, if, if you are living the right life, if you are doing the right things and God leads you to a decision and the outcome is wrong, you can still have peace. But when you're sinning, when, when you're literally, you're going to come up for air and say, Lord, help me with this decision. And you're going to go right back to the hell hole that you've been living in. How are you going to have peace in that? That's called sowing and reaping. Look, there's a difference between sowing and reaping and making a wrong decision. Sowing and reaping is you do really bad things, and then you say, why did my marriage end in divorce? I didn't make the right decision. No, you were a crappy husband. <laughs> like, that's the truth. Good. Insult her. You never take the trash out. I'm just listing off all the things that I do, babe. I'm so sorry. No, I'm kidding. But if you're a really bad husband and your marriage ends in divorce, that's called sowing and reaping. You got what you what? Deserved. Well, the Lord, I just didn't make the right decision from the beginning. I'm sorry, you're very stupid, but that's okay. We'll, we'll live with it. There's a difference between you living an unholy life and dealing with the consequences and you actually living a holy life and things not going as planned and the Lord using that thing that didn't go as planned for your good. That is why it's even more important to have a clear conscience. 
That's why it's even more important to live a holy life because things don't go as planned. Things go wrong. We're making decisions with imperfect material. So therefore, are you going to add on top of that sin and question marks because of how you're living? No. Live the right way. Marriage is tough enough when you're doing things correctly. Go ahead and add adultery on top of that and see what happens. No. Live the right way. Be holy as he is holy. And when something goes wrong, know that he is in charge of the outcome. It's okay. And parents, be okay with your children making a mistake. It's all right. Don't swoop in and save the day. That's what he's for. You don't let people learn. Decision making is so critical to our growth spiritually. And I'm just shocked at how many people either don't do it or they don't allow themselves to go through the process. Jesus himself walked through this process. Number two, Jesus did what he knew to do, and I've hit on this already, but Jesus did what he knew to do in order for the outcome to be what it should have been. This is a huge part of decision making. Number one, he made the right decision even with imperfect subject matter material, imperfect humans. Number two, he did his part so that the outcome would be what the Lord wanted it to be. What did he do? Well, look at the very first verse that we read, verse 12. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And spent all night in prayer to God. Jesus did his part. Mark 9, 29, he puts it this way in that gospel account. And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. This is why we're doing a church-wide fast in the beginning of the year. We're sowing into the year what we would like to see the Lord do. What does that mean? It means that you have a part in making the right decision. What is that part? prayer and fasting. Not control, not manipulation, just prayer and fasting. We see Jesus saying, I'm going to go be with my father all night. Look, if Jesus prayed all night, how much do we need to pray? You ever thought about that? If he needed one night, I need at least like a month of all-nighters. You know what I mean? The son of God who knows everything spent a night in prayer. We got a long ways to go, don't we, Mr. Dan? We need to be praying for a long time if he took all night. And we literally make decisions with a 10-minute prayer. Oh, Lord, help me make the right decision. Oh, man, you really, you really put your best foot forward on that one, didn't you? <laughs> man, I just can't wait to see what comes from that decision. That was wonderful. <laughs> man, that was so good. I mean, I'm being sarcastic, but seriously. We literally live... Paul talks about this, whose God is their belly. We have a generation that is living off feelings. We have a generation that do not know how to make disciplined, principled decisions. What's the decision? What, 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 do you, what did you decide? Well, <laughs> I think I'm going this way. I'm going that way. Well, how'd you get there? I think we're going that way. <laughs> do we have a process? Jesus did. <laughs> He did what he knew he needed to do so that the decision would be right. Look, we trust that the outcome is the Lord's. And the Lord says, look, draw nigh to me and I'm going to draw nigh to you. I've got a part in this and so do you. How are you doing with your part? Look, I just, I hurt inside. I really do. It, it physically pains me when I watch people make foolish decisions. 
And I know in my heart, if they were in their Bible, reading and praying and seeking the Lord, they would not have made that decision. They would have done it differently. It hurts me when I see parents and grandparents tell their kids the decisions that they think they need to make based on what they think is better financially for them, and they're dooming them spiritually. It's horrible. The best thing you can say is, have you got alone with the Lord? What's God saying about it? Well, I don't know what the Lord's saying about it. Then go back. Some of the biggest decisions that I've made in my life, I've put on hold and said, until I get an answer from the Lord, I'm not making a decision. Why? Because I have to do my part. The Lord speaks. He will tell you. He will make things clear. The Bible says this. Scripture says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. If you don't have a clear path, a clear plan, a clear understanding from the Lord, then don't do it. Then you know you need to spend more time in prayer, don't you? You know you need to get, could it be, this is the point of fasting, that there is something that you have that you're possessing that's clouding your judgment from the decision that God has for you? That's the point of fasting. I take things away so that the Lord has a clear path to speak to me. Jesus did it. Oh my gosh, I'm going to say it again. Look, can I help you with something? Don't feel bad about your anxiousness. Don't feel bad about your depression. Don't feel bad about all these things that you have that come in when it's time to make a decision. Feel bad about staying there. Feel bad about staying in that place because God has made a way of escape. He's made a way to cut through the anxiousness and through the anxiety. And when we strip away all the garbage of the world, we get alone with God and we read Matthew 9 and we understand that if you're going to clothe the lilies, if you're going to feed the sparrow, if you're going to do those things, then you can provide for me in my brokenness. I'm going to make a decision. That's the point of the, the really cool song, Jireh, right? That, that amazing, that's the whole point. Jehovah Jireh, he will provide. Yahweh Yireh, he will give to those that are his own. I'm just broken for people that are literally paralyzed and cannot make a decision for God. Look, just spend some time in prayer with him. Jesus did his part. If I could encourage you, if you have a big decision that you need to make, some of you have been toying around with starting a business, jumping ship on your career. You know that literally your decision, I think about this often, it was really neat to, to give to that missionary family. Our church over the year has given to missions. We've grown here. But look, we have more things that we're looking to do in the next year. Do you know that your decisions will affect what our church is able to do? for the sake of the gospel, directly, directly will affect. We, I'm pulling for you. I want to see, how many want to see the Lord do more here, not less? Yeah. So, so understand that like, spend some time in prayer and fasting. If the Lord's laid something on your heart, he's not laid something on your heart until it's perfect. He's laid something on your heart for you to go forth and pray and seek him, and then make a what? Make a decision. When it's time to make a decision, Jesus did what he knew to do in order for the outcome to be what it should have been. Here's the third thing. When a decision, this is probably the, just the, the best, most beautiful thing about this process. 
when a decision is made properly, you can rest in the process. Once again, I've hit on this already a little bit when I got a little uh, wound up. But when a decision is made properly, you can rest in the process. Verse 13, it says, whom he also named apostles. Remember what I said about that. Those are people that would literally act on his behalf. Jesus chose 12 people that would literally act on his behalf, even though he knew one would betray. Do you think all the 12 disciples did everything perfect all the time? No, but he knew he used the right process so that he could trust the process of that decision. Look, I think that we do a lot of things to ourselves. How many would agree? We, we inflict a lot of pain and suffering on ourselves. Those of you that struggle with decisions that you've made in the past affecting your futures, start the process now in such a way that you can live with the decision in the future. Some of you are so worried about, like, maybe it's posterity, I don't know. But you're so worried about everything coming out right. You have to leave room for the Lord to use a mistake to teach you and to train you and to even love you through. The whole gospel is centered around suffering, right? Jesus and his passion, Jesus and his suffering. By his stripes, we are what? Healed. He, he conditioned his disciples to act on behalf of himself to pick up their what? Their cross. Pick up every perfect decision. Pick up all these things and everything's going to go great. No, he said, seek ye first the what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. I feel like we don't, we don't have this process down. Therefore, we're living with a lot of anxiousness. And if we can get this thing right, what is it? Knowing that every decision that you make, there's going to be imperfect parts because you're a part of it, right? But we serve a perfect God. Number two, understand this. Jesus, he did what he knew to do. We're going to step into that spot where we are doing what we know we need to do. And then number three, when we do that, we can rest in that right decision that we made. Some of you, you need to know that the Lord, good to see you. Some of you need to accept the fact that the Lord wanted failure in some of those situations. He wanted that. He needed a Judas. How many of you are okay with that? It's not, it's not easy. This isn't the easy part of decisions. Some of you need to trust the process enough to allow some mistakes. But the decision still has to be made. Him saying, uh-uh, no, I ain't, I ain't picking the 12. I'm not doing it. That was not an option, right? The one thing that he needed to do was pick what? Huh? He had to pick the 12. What are you facing? What decision do you need to make this year? Hey, Let's make it in such a way that we can trust the process. Can we all agree? There's a better way. 
Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at BethlehemChurch.cc. And also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description. And we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.